welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Welcome to another chapter of Turn the Page, the official podcast of Zyoset Public Library. This is Jen, your co-host for today, and I'm here with the writer of a really fun new book that I can't wait to dig into. Can I ask you to introduce yourself and your book, please? Hey, my name is Ian Forty, and my book is Where Cage, the, possibly the best book ever about uh, Nick Cage-like anthropy. <laughs> Yeah, I think that would be fair to say. This is definitely the best book that I've ever read about Nicolas Cage related lycanthropy. Um, I'm wondering, before we get into the book itself, if you could tell me a little bit about your writing career and how it got you to this book, because you've written for some of my favorite comedy websites and for a lot of really cool outlets. So I was wondering if you could um, take us through that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I started writing online at the tail end of 2007, um, Cracked.com used to source their writers just from their readership. They would put out semi-regular calls. You know, if, if you feel like you can write an article, um, pitch us and see what happens. So that's what I did. Uh, I pitched just after Thanksgiving. They did like a yearly call for freelancers. So I pitched an article about medication side effects uh, because that was around the time... Um, I can't even remember what medication it was anymore, but it caused an increased urge to gamble. It was on the commercials that it told you that it did that. And I thought that has to be one of the weirdest side effects I've ever heard of. So a little bit of research. I found seven more. I pitched it. I got accepted. And that was the first thing I ever wrote professionally. And then I ended up, she's uh, probably written a couple hundred articles since then for Cracked specifically. I became a columnist for a while. Um, then, you know, college humor later on and um, a number of other sites. I ran my own site called Holy Taco for a few years. That was for, it was by Break Media. Um, they went out of business and were terrible and they still owe me a lot of money. Oh, geez. <laughs> um, nonetheless, um, it was fun while it lasted. Uh, but yeah, so in the last however many years that's been, too many years now, I guess, I refuse <laughs> to do the math. Um, I've probably written a few thousand articles that are either comedy or at least semi-comedy sort of general knowledge trivia based things and that's fun and all um, but I, I did you know I do like to write fiction I wrote a novel when I was in high school handwritten 1,000 page novel when I was in high school um, wow. that no one will ever read because it's awful <laughs> just atrocious it's it's exactly what you expect a uh, mostly nerdy kid in grade 10 to write <laughs> after reading a lot of genre fiction. Um, anyway, but yeah, I've always had that passion. So I, you know, started only in the last couple of years really have started writing fiction as opposed to uh, freelance nonfiction stuff for other people. So um, I've been enjoying it and Wear Cage is the first completely kind of unfettered book that I've written. I have some other books that I wrote for another company. Like, so they are technically freelance, even though it was my ideas. Mm -hmm. And I was given freedom to play a lot with what I was writing, but Wear Cage was beholden to no one but me. And I don't think anyone would have ever let me write that book. So um, yeah, I had fun with it on my own. 
That's great. Yeah, I'm so glad this book exists because um, I've been a Nicolas Cage fan since I was um, like, I think probably 14, 15 uh, when Face Off came out. And it just like yes. I saw it in theaters and I was like, this is the best movie ever made, like completely sincere. <laughs> and I um, I feel like over time, I, you know, Face Off fans have been vindicated. <laughs> you know, yes. like it is a good movie. Um, so, yeah, I'm wondering about like how your uh, let's say your journey as a Nicolas Cage fan, like where did you get on the Nicolas Cage bus? You see, that's, that's the thing. Nicolas Cage has had a, a very interesting career. He was I mean. People often write, if you read uh, articles in the media, some someone mentioned that you know he won an Academy Award. It's almost like an apology. Like he he was a good actor once. He is a good actor, I say, mm -hmm. because no one else I can think of gives it as much effort, no matter what the role is, as Nicolas Cage. He goes way over the top, and I actually appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, he he's in on it. Like he he gets it. When you you know listen to interviews with him, Nicolas Cage understands that a lot of the movies he's made are silly, and so he goes with that. But um, it was in that era: Face Off, Con Air, The Rock. I think all three of those came out um, one after the other, if I'm not mistaken, way back in the day. And that's when I really got into enjoying Nick Cage movies because they're fun action movies. They're kind of a little over the top, but still good examples of the genre at the time period i think mm -hmm. and but his performance was always really a standout because nicholas cage is always nicholas cage and that just and then when his career started going on a downturn people started making fun of the stuff he was doing i think a lot of that came from his own personal financial issues i think he was just trying to make money to pay off the dinosaurs that he bought mm -hmm. and whatever else that he had but <laughs> like the wicker man is often touted as like an example of a really bad Nick Cage movie but I love that movie because he's he doesn't stop for a bit it's like he's angry that he's in the movie and he <laughs> wants you to know about it and I, I love every minute of there's a scene where he's dressed like a bear and he wind sprints up a hill and just knocks somebody out it's amazing how can I don't get how anyone could not like that but <laughs> anyway I really appreciate and now you know there's like the Nick Cage renaissance mm. with like pig and uh, Mandy, Color Out of Space, and um, I actually can't remember the name of that new film where he basically plays himself because I haven't seen it yet. <clears throat> oh, but, right. The, um, um, oh, gosh. The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, I think. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so people are coming back into the Nick Cage sphere, which is great because I think he deserves it. He's, he's just fun to watch, and I think that's what an actor should be above all else. Mm. If I'm having fun watching your movie, I don't know why I'm watching it. So, And I, I appreciate that about them. So yeah, Wear Cage is like a love letter, basically, to that idea of Nick Cage, that he's just fun, and more Nick Cage is never a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, it's like he always gives a hundred and ten percent, like no matter the project. Yeah, and he's just always like he never really does the thing that would be like the easy thing to do, you know? Like he always like just brings something very strange and very unique to the role, no matter like how yeah. the movie is around him. I really like admire that in a way. Um, yeah. He does include, there's so many like strange touches. He'll do a voice for no good reason. He'll have an accent in a movie that doesn't make any sense. Like the way he speaks, even the cadence of his speech in something like Kick-Ass where he's got a fairly small role, but it's very standout in the film mm -hmm. that you, you really remember him. And the, it's just a, in the color of space, he has an accent I couldn't even begin to place. But I love his performance in that movie. It's because there's everything in that movie is really great. I thought really extreme, no rests for the wicked in that movie. But 
<laughs> yeah, like yeah. He puts the effort in and I appreciate it. Yeah, he does. That movie is great. It's so so strange and so disturbing, but also really yeah. funny. <laughs> and you know, I think a lot of those adjectives actually could be applied to this book, which is just like it's so much fun, but there's also like a lot of really effective horror in it too, and that's like a great line that it walks. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to do, I mean, because I've written so much comedy, I actually find it kind of hard to do straight horror. Mm. Um, I love horror. I've loved horror for years. I used to have, when I was really, people often were like, what was wrong with your parents? When, when they hear that, like how young I was when I started watching horror. But it's, to me, it's always been, well, it's a movie. It's not real. It doesn't. So I, I've never been disturbed by horror necessarily, but I just love how the genre works. Um mm. But the comedy aspect, it's hard for me to keep out, so, even when I try sometimes. So it, I don't fight it all the time. Obviously, Lair Cage, it just worked really well with that idea. So, mm. Yeah, it did work, work really well. And I think that um, like the humor and the horror are really well balanced. Um, yeah, let's talk about the book a little bit. So it takes place in a town that has just um, had a Nicolas Cage film retrospective because he was just in town filming a movie and I really love the detail that he's filming a movie with Frank Grillo because that is exactly <laughs> like the sort of you know person that he would be in a in a movie with these days <laughs> just very good knowledge of the genre um like so where did this book start for you like was there like what what was the idea that kind of like sparked this whole thing yeah I I like you said I like to write a lot I actually have a folder or file um in Google Docs, that's just called Future Ideas. And if I have an idea, there it goes. I'm probably up to about 50 different ideas, which can range. Some of them are literally two words long. Some of them are fairly fleshed out. Uh, but years ago, 2014, 2015, I wrote, a guy bites a guy, guy becomes guy. And that was, that was it for a <laughs> long time. It sat like that. And then I wrote a screenplay for fun called Nick Cage versus Zombies mm. back in the day. And I submitted that to some film festivals and actually won a couple of awards. And that sort of started my, my I should write about Nick Cage quest. And then guy bites guy becomes Nick Cage bites guy. Guy becomes Nick Cage. And that's where that developed from. <laughs> ah, that's so great. It's such a great idea. And it's, uh, and it works because like with, Nicolas Cage like he's such an out there figure who like you know is really wrapped up in like being weird and unpredictable like when you first hear that story that like Nicolas Cage bites a man like it's it's slightly plausible you know like I, <laughs> <laughs> like it would be a surprise but not really you'd be like well you know like he he does a lot of weird stuff so it's <laughs> like yeah. grounding for it feels really real <laughs> I mean some of the terrible things you've heard of, like it's not like Army Hammer or anything. Oh, yeah. so we're we're scaling it back. We're like, yeah, all right. Yeah, Nicholas Cage could bite a guy. I'll buy that. Yeah, not hard. Like I don't think he would injure somebody, but I could see it yeah. being sort of like a statement, you know. So. <laughs> uh, why do you think, like, as a a culture, like we are so obsessed with Nicholas Cage, so fascinated by him? I think it is a lot of the the fact that he does really go over the top in a lot of his performances and yet he chooses some unusual roles his early work a lot of it was much more mainstream and then as time has gone by he's really taken some left turns on you if not 
the the subject matter than how he approaches it certainly like his the way he portrayed ghost rider was very strange i thought there's a lot of scenes i really enjoy that movie. just if you if you watch that movie again pay attention to how often he will set his feet and then point at another character it's really weird it's an unnatural pose and an unnatural action and he must do it a half dozen times I don't know why, but it's it's little things like that that I think capture people's imagination about him. And then the whole personal life thing, too. Like, the man lost a fortune, apparently, on castles and dinosaur bones and who knows what else over the years, which is just weird. <laughs> and then when he gives you interviews, he talks about how his acting method is called nouveau shamanic, and that doesn't mean anything to anyone. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I don't think he's ever explained it either. Or at least not very adequately. So you're just like, oh, okay. That's what you do. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. It's pretty effective branding, I think. Like, it's a good name for for whatever it is he's doing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. And I think, you know, a lot of it, too, is that even though he does all these out there things and picks these weird roles and does really weird interpretations of them, like... In interviews, he also, even while he's talking about weird things, he always, like, kind of comes off as, like, grounded and normal, you know? Like, he, yeah. like he's he's in on the joke. Like, he knows, mm -hmm. uh, like, he knows how we all see him and what his, like, image is. Um, and so there is this, like, really weird and interesting combination with him of just, like, like, complete out-there-ness and, like, I don't know, some kind of, like, rationality or something. Like, he's just, like, he's, he's very interesting and mysterious. <laughs> Yeah, like, I think, like I said, I like that you have fun watching a Nick Cage movie. And I think he, I mean, I honestly think that he wants an audience, he should want an audience to have fun. Any actor should. But I think that's definitely at the forefront of how he performs in a lot of his films. Like he wants to entertain. Mm. And I'm not sure that's necessarily what every actor is thinking when they're doing, not that they don't want you to be entertained, but I don't know if that's like really at the forefront of their mind when they're trying to, you know, when you hear about method actors trying to nail a character and they're living like this person off screen, off camera and stuff. Um, I don't know that that's the same approach that Nicolas Cage might take to to delivering a role. So, Yeah, I think that's true, too. Yeah, because, like, I think so much of modern acting, like, does trend toward realism and making things as like real and believable as possible. And that is definitely, like, not what his goal is. And so he just is, like... <laughs> bringing so many different like i guess ambitions and goals into his work that just really make him stand out um mm -hmm. i want to talk a little bit about like how the how the horror and the the comedy kind of support each other because something i noticed that really struck out to me was that like a lot of the body horror like around the transformation into nick cage is like very effective body horror like it's a it's a horrifying process that he has to go through in order <laughs> to become nicholas cage um and it also like really touches on like the horror that's inherent in being famous you know because like when he is nicholas cage there's like so much attention on him and he finds it so like disorienting and, and awful and i'm just mm -hmm. wondering if you could like talk a little bit about like yeah, like what was your approach to the horror and like what things did you were you exploring with that? I did want to set up a contract because it is a it's a super silly premise. I mean, that sh I want everyone to understand that right off the bat. And that's why the tagline is really simple, you know, about 
Nick Cage biting a guy. Um, but at the same time, like the implications of that in in the little world I set up would be terrible. And I really I really enjoy body horror. That's probably one of my favorite subgenres. Um, and I do obviously I really like you know werewolf stories and lycanthropy and that kind of stuff. So the idea of not being in control of how your body works any longer, something is taking over. You're still in there, but you don't have that control anymore. And that's that that's to me is uh, like much more terrifying than an outside, like the other. When you become the other, that's that's scary to me. Um, as much as you're going to push scary in a book like this, because I, I want to keep it, I want to draw it back to the idea that it's still a little bit goofy at the same time. And then how the character uh, Stanley relates to it when he starts kind of feeling like he's enjoying being Nick Cage. There's something really liberating about it. And it's just, you know, it's like trying on a new suit and you really like the way it makes you feel. It's, you know, so it's sort of the best and worst of both worlds he's going through. Mm. Um, which I think is kind of inherent in most of these kind of stories where someone becomes something else. There's the horror of it, but there's often, even if it's unspoken, that kind of sense of freedom. Mm. I think that's a really big part of any werewolf story. Mm. Like, you know, you've become feral. You're wild now. You're not bound by rules or anything. And it, the implications of that can be terrible mm. and monstrous. And that's often what's focused on in these kinds of stories. But for a minute there, you know, it, you're a little bit envious of the idea of just being wild and free, mm. even if that means you have to be Nick Cage. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good point, you know, and I think that there is a lot of interesting overlap there because like, yeah, Nicolas Cage isn't really like bound by many rules and he, he kind of like does what he wants and like he's just he is who he is and so like there are nice i think parallels with uh with werewolves and the sort of like freedoms that they represent there um yeah and i think that there's something interesting too about like um you know how we all kind of like wish we could be famous even if just for like a day or two to experience it and we all know on some level that it would be horrible but we still kind of want to do it you know like there is a like i love the part of horror that is like yeah that is like uh perhaps like is appealing to like some of like the things that we I guess don't really want to admit about ourselves or I, I might be thinking about it too much but you know <laughs> no, I definitely think that's I think uh, the monster whatever it is in any horror whether that's you know ghost faced in scream or Dracula or or a werewolf I think there is that that little bit of identity between you identify with that character just a little bit and and maybe like showing you the ugly side is kind of where the horror comes from. Obviously, you know, you don't want to be a monster, but you're like, eh. I mean, that's why horror, the genre is really built on the villains rather than the heroes. Mm. People want to see more of Jason and Freddie and Pinhead. They don't really care about the person who dies <laughs> tragically or his many, many friends over the course of the series. You want to see the villain. You want to see them keep going because that's who, that's who entertains you. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that does, you know, make me think that like the villain in horror movies usually is like the most interesting character because like all of the other characters sort of like by definition have to be like blank slates a little bit, <laughs> you know? Um yeah. and yeah, Nicolas Cage is just like, I don't know, he just he he like fits into this role just so nicely. Oh, there was one other thing that I did want to like point out before we wrap up because <laughs> there's just like a lot of really interesting little um like thought tirades uh that like we get to experience 
uh, through our main character. And there's one in particular that I really enjoyed, which was about him, like not understanding um, people who eat dinner late. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I have always been an early dinner eater. Um, and I never also never understood waiting to like eight or nine to eat. And I, in fact, got like made fun of that a lot when I um, studied abroad in college because Europeans really like to eat late and I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So, um, but that brings me to, I guess, one of my questions, which is that obviously like the main character shares some characteristics with you because he is a Nicolas Cage fan and you are a Nicolas Cage fan. And I'm mm. wondering like how much you put your own like self and thoughts into like some of his perspective, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, there's definitely some of that. I mean, the grocery store thing, even something as simple as that, because I that was one of my that was the first job I had in college, just mm-hmm. stocking shelves and that monotony there where your mind just kind of wanders off to other places and you become a little bit robotic while you're doing it. So there's definitely and absolutely dinner. What are you doing eating dinner at eight o'clock at night? That's it's just crazy to me. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, it's easy to you know draw on things that like the minutiae of everyday life things that make sense to me to, to flesh out a character and you know i think if i were to be bit by nick cage <laughs> you know what would i do mm-hmm. and that's really all i can go off of right wow how would that strike me mm-hmm. you know what seems like the most normal reaction to an absolutely abnormal situation so um there's a, definitely a little bit of me uh in stanley in terms of how he relates to the world and maybe some of his neuroses and whatnot in dealing with the situation and other characters. Yeah, he's very relatable and he, um, I guess he is notable sort of as the protagonist of like a horror thing in that like he, you know, a lot of horror operates on like the main character making like the worst possible decision in a situation, you know, and Stanley Mm. kind of does like what, like it makes sense to do the things that he does faced with what he is faced with here. (laughs) like he's he really is very relatable and he is i think is reacting to this the way that like any of us would react to this as weird as that is to imagine but yeah some of it i wanted it to be the idea and him working with his roommate as well to determine the best course of action when there's literally no way to know it's it's stupid to even try to to figure out you know like when they're referring to wilford brimley's mathematical equations from the movie the thing <laughs> to figure out how much time they have until the world's going to end that's a and that was actually the first like how long would it take nick cage to take over the world and i thought well how did what was the math that they used in the thing and that's why i put it because i realized it was stupid of me to think of that so now my character is stupid for thinking that <laughs> um, but I, th- I mean with no basis of reference no frame of reference at all for something like this what would you do mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think this this book answers that, you know, that burning question. And it's 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 really fun to kind of w- work through the scenario with Stanley and with his roommate. Like Cameron is a lot of fun, too. And I think mm-hmm. he really captures like that weird dynamic of having a, a roommate, you know, in that period of your life where it's like the person that you see the most and know the most in some ways, but also is like kind of a stranger <laughs> in some other ways. Like, yeah. There's a lot of good stuff there just about like being in that period of your life where you're sort of like not sure what you want to do with yourself and you're trying to find your way. And like there are there's like a lot of good, I think, emotional beats there, too, just about kind of like being lost in your like, uh, you know, yeah, I guess in the years before midlife crisis, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, well, some of the things are definitely like he doesn't know who he is and now he's somebody else. 
Mm-hmm. That's that's just a burden that you don't really carry around at any point in time, but still has to be dealt with before everyone dies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really fun to go on this journey with him. And uh, I'm really grateful that you came to talk to us about it because I, I just really love this book and I, I really want other people to read it. Um, do you have anything else going on? Or is there anything that you're working on now that you can talk about? Or Actually, another book that I released after Wear Cage called When Demons Dream, which is something I wrote a long time ago. And then I just kind of retooled it a little bit. It's a very dark Neil Gaiman-ish kind of a story. It's not, I mean, there's some humor in it, but it's much more grim. The the story itself is a lot more serious and dark um, than Wear Cage. But I do like to branch into that kind of stuff every once in a while. And then I'm also working on another book that I wanted to have done already, but it's taking a little bit too longer called uh, Do Velociraptors Dream of Alternative Rock? <laughs> Which obviously is, you know, a very awkward play on uh, Electric Sheep and whatnot. But that's about the band Eve Six that I know <laughs> exclusively from Twitter. <laughs> and I talked to them on occasion. I asked if I could write a book about the band. And I got, I think I got a one word, yep. And so that was all the permission I needed in my mind. So it's about how E6 is the product of an experimental velociraptor evolution uh, scientific experiment and the results of what happens when you mix human and velociraptor DNA. Wow, that's fantastic. Like, I <laughs> love everything about that. Like, I love Eve Six and their Twitter presence. And I love the idea of Eve Six getting that sort of treatment in this book. It sounds really fun. Um, and I'm really excited about When Demons Dream, too, because it sounds like a, a fun, like, um, yeah, like, uh, it would be fun to read you, like, working in a different tone. So if you ever want to come back and talk about any other projects, like, please, you know, you're always welcome. <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. I really appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you as well. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. All right, listeners, you can uh, pick up Wear Cage um, on uh, Amazon, correct? It's a Kindle? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Great. And I, paperback. And paperback. Great. I highly yeah. recommend it. The cover is beautiful. So actually, the paperback would be really nice to have. It's a good, good pulpy cover. Um, all right. Thank you for listening. And we will see you next time. It is time to close this chapter. Bye-bye. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.